One of my favorite pieces of playground equipment is the teeter-totter. Do you guys not rank your playground equipment like I do? I know that's a little weird. We actually have a teeter-totter here, and it has my stand on it. You have no idea how much joy this brings me. Like, oh my goodness gracious. I, if I had room, I'd put it in my office. It would, like, I just absolutely love it. But one of the things that I'm just fascinated with is kind of the teeter-totter. Anybody grow up calling it a seesaw? My grew up calling it a seesaw. I did more research than I ever should admit on a stage about teeter-totters this last couple of weeks. And I realized, I found out that they call them different things around the world. That kind of stands to reason. Some places call it a teeter board. Sounds weird to me. My favorite one is in Europe. They call it a this and that, which sounds a little bit more like a flea market to me than it does anything else. But like the thing about a teeter-totter, and one of the reasons I'm just fascinated with it, is when it comes to playground equipment, you kind of need assistance just on the teeter-totter. You can go down the slide, the monkey bars, swing, you know, all sorts of different things. You can kind of do that on your own. But when it comes to a teeter-totter, you, you need a little help, right? I mean, because if, if you don't have help on a teeter-totter, you're just sitting on the ground. Like, that's all you're doing. Now, I have a theory that there are two types of people when it comes to playing on the teeter-totter when you're growing up. Now, there's the person who, like, plays on it correctly, you know, and it goes back and forth, and it's like this dance, and it just works beautifully. Or there's the person like I was when I was growing up, and I'd just jump as hard as I could, trying with all my might to knock this person off which is a really bad idea because gravity. And so I'm up here and then I end up falling down on my face because of that. So I don't know which teeter-totter person you are, but I I imagine that you can relate to one side of the teeter-totter or the other. Now, what in the world does a teeter-totter have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I think a teeter-totter is actually a really fantastic symbol for the conversation that we're having today. Now, we are in week two of a series we're calling Rated M. And we're going through this conversation, really, about God and about sex and about sexuality. And our hope is to talk about these things in a healthy way. We want to learn how to honor God with our sex and our sexuality. And it means that throughout this series, we're going to get a little uncomfortable because today, in particular, we're talking about sexuality. And I I think you are rightfully wondering, what in the world does a teeter-totter have to do with sexuality? Is it like a double entendre-like type of joke going on? No, no, it's not. Not uh, I'm aware of, at least. In our culture right now, we have a really difficult time talking about anything that's uncomfortable, don't we? And then, I mean, heaven help us if we end up disagreeing about something. I mean, you know what that means. When we disagree, we rush right to name-calling and insults like we're 10 years old on the playground. And in the context of sexuality in particular, and I'm talking about polarizing views, you know, especially in the church, things like homosexuality, transgender views, opinions about LGBTQ and spirituality, we just don't know how to talk about it. And when we do talk about it, We sometimes get really horrible to one another. And when it comes to these really polarizing conversations, I think sometimes we make the conversation about like a faceless enemy, like an us and a them, and that's not really what this is. This conversation isn't just about who's right and who's wrong or how we should theoretically live our lives. It's really about people. It's about real people. 
who have families and lives and jobs and opinions and hopes and dreams, people who feel strongly one way or the other about what we're talking about today, which kind of brings me to the teeter-totter. Now, I don't know what kind of teeter-totter you were when you were in elementary school, but I have a theory that when it comes to tough conversations, we're kind of one type of teeter-totter person or another. Now, one side of the teeter-totter is truth, and on the other side of the teeter-totter is grace. Which side are you on? See, I believe that we tend to be more naturally drawn to one side or the other, either the truth side of the teeter-totter or the grace side of the teeter-totter. Now, here's how the truth side sounds. Oh, you're impressed by that move, aren't you? I've been practicing all week with the, with the kick up. You better believe it. So here's what the truth side sounds like on the teeter-totter. This is what the Bible says. I think this is wrong. I think this is right. We should behave accordingly. Doing the right thing is really important, and there are consequences to our mistakes. That's kind of what the truth side sounds like. But here's the, here's the grace side. Here's kind of what the grace side would sound like. This is what the Bible says. This is what feels right. This is what feels wrong. What about the other person? Sometimes people make mistakes and we all need a second chance. And I want you to notice something about what we just talked about. Nothing that I just said conflicts with the other side. Grace and truth are not adversaries. They actually have to work together, don't they? We can't have one without the other. Isn't there a song that goes like that? Love and marriage. It's grace and truthy. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't think it through. Okay. We have to have both of these. And when it comes to a conversation about LGBTQ and sexuality, which is what we're talking about today, we struggle because we kind of have this push and this pull, this back and this forth, this up and this down. And it becomes spiritually volatile. And the teeter-totter goes up and the teeter-totter goes down and we don't really know what to make of it. We don't know how to interact about it. We don't know how to talk about it. And because of this, I thought it would be a really good idea to have some grace and truth ground rules. So, so here's what I'm talking about. This is Colossians 4, 5. This is what it says. This is what we want to do today in our conversation. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So we want to live wisely today. We want to be kind and interact with each other. Well, how do we do that? Well, we want to be gracious. We want to extend grace to one another. And we want to have the right response. It is not just about grace without truth. It is grace and truth. Hence the not so subtle this and that before us today. Now, I I want to say that there are some nuances in this conversation, and we're not going to address everything today. This topic and this conversation is complex. And you might have maybe very specific questions about very specific things that come along with what's going on in your life or what's going on in culture. And there are questions maybe how we should respond to those things or our opinions are likely all over the map on this. Fair enough. So today, my hope is to address this topic and to talk about it with kind of the truth and the grace that we're hoping to have when it comes to sexuality. Now, before we kind of dive into the truth and grace of sexuality, let's define truth and grace just as a foundation today. Kind of can use the teeter-totter for that. Okay, what's, what, what is truth? Truth is not reliant on how we feel 
or what we want. And that's really important. What's the other side of that? Here's the grace side of that. Grace is given no matter what we do or what we've done. Let's break it down. What is truth? What is truth, baby, don't hurt me. See, there aren't many truth songs out there, it turns out. A lot of love songs, not very many truth songs. What is, what is truth? Well, truth is what is right and what is wrong. No one's impressed by that? Yeah, that, that's pretty simple, isn't it? It's what is right and what is wrong. And something is true, and it is true for all people, all times, all places. Truth doesn't shift around. It doesn't change depending on opinion. It doesn't change on time passing. It's not based on how I feel today or how I feel tomorrow. Feelings change. Circumstances change. Truth is solid like the board. It doesn't change at all. Okay, so what is grace? Well, that's the other side of the teeter-totter. This is grace. God is willing to forgive us and to love us no matter what, in spite of the fact that we mess up and we fall short of his standards. So grace is not something that we can earn or that we deserve. It's given in spite of ourselves. And grace is given no matter what we do or what we've done. It's not based on our actions at all. So this is kind of the foundation of the conversation. We're going to go back and forth and back and forth in between truth and grace today. Now, before I do that, and I know we've already prayed about it, but I think it's a really valuable thing to in- include God into this conversation. Because this isn't really about Adam's perspective on all of this. We really want this to be about, to the best of our ability, what God has to say about this. So you bow your heads with me. I'd like to say a quick prayer for us just right now. Heavenly Father, help us have the grace and truth today for each other that we're talking about. God, we want it to be your truth, and we want it to be your grace. So help me get out of the way. We want to honor you with who we are, with what we believe, with how we interact. We surrender all of this to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's start with this truth side, okay? This is the truth about sexuality. This is what it says. Truth, we are all made in the image of God as a man or a woman. And this might not seem like a big deal at first glance. But if you're somebody who identifies as transgender or knows somebody who is, the statement is a gut punch. So a little context. The Bible nowhere explicitly mentions transgenderism or describes anybody as such. However, the Bible does have plenty to say about human sexuality, and it actually starts in the very first chapter and the very first book of the Bible. Check this out. This is Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And this is right after he created the entire universe. And they will reign people over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this is why I believe that God created two genders. I believe no matter if the gender question has a genetic, hormonal, physiological, psychological, or spiritual cause... I believe all aspects of gender and sexuality need to be surrendered to God. See, he created us 
with a purpose, knitted together in our mother's womb. How's that for imagery? And it's in his own image as male and as female. So this is what I believe that the Bible teaches as truth, that we are created in his image as male or female. So what do we do with this truth? We see, we have to kind of do something with truth. We can ignore it. We can accept it. We can yell about it. We can post snarky comments on social media about it. Not that any of us would have ever done anything like that. Have you ever posted something on social media and then somebody, you know, posts that sn- snarky comment or whatever? And you're like, I don't even know where that came from. And then you see them like in the aisle of the grocery store the next day and you like, you lock eyes with them. You're like, I know what you did. Just me? Cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, some people who follow Jesus have had a really hard time when other people don't believe or follow Jesus in the same way or in a way that doesn't agree with our way. And if people don't fit our brand of Christianity, we shun them or we shame them or we shout at them until they go away. And that kind of brings us up on this other side of the teeter-totter. See, we're all made in the image of God as man and woman. I think that that is true. But the part of Genesis that we are just reading that speaks about gender is also talking about something else. It's talking about inherent value as people. Like that's a really important piece to this. So what's the other side of the teeter-totter? Here's the grace side of the teeter-totter. Every single person in the world is loved by God. Who's loved by God? You're loved by God. You're loved by God. This is an Oprah moment. It's like everybody's loved by God. Now think of the person that you disagree with the most. Or maybe you dislike the most. Or maybe has hurt you the most a political figure, a family member? Is it somebody that you don't see eye to eye with about something, maybe about sexuality? So you think of them, do you have a picture in your head? You know, a person who always seems to wrong you. If you don't have a picture in your head, you can borrow mine. It's a person that beats my favorite football team all the time. So now we're all thinking about Tom Brady. (laughs) But what person in your life do you disagree with the most? They're loved by God. The person who has hurt you the most, they're loved by God. The person you just don't understand how they, why they, how could they, they're loved by God. And even though I believe that God created us as man or woman, the person who's questioning whether that's true for them, they're loved by God. Or the person who thinks me a bigot because of my beliefs, they're loved by God just as much as I am and just as much as you are. And the behavior that you get the most annoyed with or the most frustrated by or you noticed the most, you will never find someone who is disqualified from being loved by God. This is what Romans 8.38, this is how it describes it. I love these verses. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. And then he lands it right here. Indeed, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Try to think of something. It doesn't fit because nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from God's love. This is so hopeful. This is so amazing. We can't be separated from God's love. It can't be done. But in the context of sexuality, oftentimes the people who are quick to claim the love of God are slow to extend the love of God. And that love is revealed through Jesus and the cross. No matter what you believe about sexuality, if you disagree with me about sexuality, you're loved by God and Jesus died for you on the cross. If we agree and we are on the exact same page, he died for us on the cross. If you've made mistakes and treated people who disagree with you incredibly poorly, you're loved by God because nothing can separate us from his love, which means if you think about it, we're actually much more alike than we are different. Because when it comes to God and when it comes to his standard and when it comes to his love, we are exactly the same because we are made in his image. Grace and truth. That's one up and down. Hopefully the teeter-totter is making a little bit of a sense now. Have you ever said a word like over and over again and you're just like, it starts to sound like you're an alien, like teeter-totter. I have said teeter-totter more in the last two weeks than I have said in my entire life. That is, that is true. That's true. Now, here's another one. Let's start with the, the truth side again. Okay, so here's another truth about sex and sexuality. Check this out. Sex is created by God for the context of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, we talked about this some last week. Here's a quick recap. The first mention of marriage is in Genesis It's a long time before Jesus was on earth as a man. And it talks about a guy leaving his parents and being united to his wife. And consistently throughout the Bible, marriage is identified as between a man and a woman. Spiritually, marriage is viewed as a lifetime union between a man and a woman. And this principle is not only consistent throughout the whole Bible, but it's actually reinforced by Jesus. So here's what happened. Jesus was asked specifically about marriage and divorce. It was actually a way that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something against God's standard. And here's how he responded in Matthew 19, starting in verse 4. This is what he said. Haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. So he's quoting there. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Have you ever heard those words at a wedding ceremony? You know, like, like these words right here, let no one split apart. This is, so I have the, the honor of being able to officiate some weddings. And sometimes when when the bride and groom want me to include this, this is how I want to say it. I don't. This is how I want to say it. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Because I just feel like that would be more fun, really. Um, But also, I don't know, there's some intensity here. There's some, some excitement here. Like, there's something happening here. So, 
in Jesus' own words, he talks about marriage in the context of male and female. And the Bible consistently talks about homosexuality as against God's standard, starting in the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. So marriage and homosexuality is treated consistently throughout the entire Bible. And for example, one of the verses that's the most quoted, if you're having a theological discussion about this, is 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. That's intense. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. This is intense. It's like drunkards and abusers and cheaters. Oh my. Like that, that's a different version of the Wizard of Oz. Check it out. I don't know how it ends. It doesn't have the same ring to it. This is incredibly intense and strong language. Why do you think? Why do you think that this list is here? Here's some context. There's some people in a place called Corinth, and Paul wrote them a letter. And these people in Corinth believed that because of their Christian faith, they could basically do whatever they wanted to do because they were forgiven. So that's the context that this comes in. And it's saying, if we keep saying, I can do whatever I want because I'm forgiven by God, perhaps maybe we need to think about how much of a Christ follower we actually claim to be. Now, I want to be clear. This verse talks about a lot of things that fall short of God's standard. It does talk about sexuality, but it also talks about idolatry. And idolatry, put simply, is putting anything above God. I have never met a person that hasn't had an idol in their life, including myself. We all fall short of this list. Now, sometimes we pick and choose the things we don't fall short in, perhaps. But we all fall short of the list. But what if what we're doing doesn't hurt anyone? Have you ever heard that statement in this conversation? That's a big statement in this conversation. Maybe you've heard it like this. Isn't love just love? Yes and no. First, love does not always equal sex or sexuality. Love can mean so many different things in so many different contexts. And my hope is we all love one another, but that doesn't mean that it has anything to do with sex or sexuality. And using love is love maybe isn't quite as convincing in this argument as we think it might be. And I think God knows that sexuality is an incredibly difficult thing for us to navigate because sex is not just a physical thing. Sex is a spiritual thing. And God has a design for sex and for sexuality. We actually talked about that last week. There are three reasons that God created sex. Do you remember them? Number one is baby making. Be fruitful and multiply. Number two is pleasure. He's not surprised that we enjoy it. And number three, it's becoming one between a man and a woman. It's a spiritual union. And all three of those things honor God. But if we put any of those reasons, marriage, sex, or kids, above God, those good things stop honoring God. That's what idolatry is. And God's design is always better than our design. Even when it's difficult for us to feel like it in the moment. 
And you might agree with what I'm saying, and you might disagree with what I'm saying. And that's okay. This is an incredibly divisive conversation, and I know. But that's the truth side. What's on the grace side? Well, check this out. This is what's on the grace side. See, the way that we treat people when we don't agree is very important. This reminds me of an old pastor story. So there was a, a pastor, he was talking at his church about loving people. And he asked the church, if you need help loving somebody else in your life, raise your hand. And every single person, you know, needed help with somebody they disagree with or whatever. And every single person raised their hand except one old lady right in the front row. Her name is Ethel. I don't know why. If your name is Ethel, I'm sorry about that. But the pastor goes, Ethel, you don't need any help with loving anyone in your life. And she said, no, I outlived all those snakes. (laughs) See, the way we treat people when we don't agree is incredibly important. And the Christian churches in America have done a really bad job at this, by and large. It actually grieves me that people who identify as LGBTQ or have a friend or family member who does sees the church as hateful or unwilling to love. And if you identify as LGBTQ or if you have a really strong opinion about this, I want to speak directly to you for a moment. I am so sorry. No excuses. I am so deeply sorry. I believe that God's design for the church, and I hope and pray for the ridge, is that the church can be a place where we can go and develop God-honoring relationships with other people and with Jesus, and in turn, be challenged to embrace God's truth while being extended God's grace. And that applies to every single person and every single topic of conversation. See, God's design for the church is for it to be a safe place for people to honestly share their thoughts and desires and fears and struggles. Yeah, even their sin without fear of shame. And I desperately hope that people find God's grace and find God's truth and his help and his love and his hope and his life even when we don't agree on everything. Let's go back to the teeter-totter. See, here's the truth side of this. I've kind of alluded to it this entire time. We all fall short of God's standard, every single one of us. No matter what you believe about sexuality, there is, in your life, sin. And before any of us get on a soapbox and start yelling and screaming truth at somebody, we should remember we have sin. I have sin, and so do you. And the sin in your life might be exactly directly related to what we're talking about in this series and what we're talking about today. It also might not have anything to do with it. It might be gossip. It might be greed. It might be pride. It might be that you are unwilling to love your neighbor and extend grace because they don't look like you or live like you. And if you don't interact with people who don't look like you and live like you, that should bring you pause. I believe that the truth that we're talking about applies to all of our sin. See, we fall short, and there is hope 
because of Jesus. See, that's the grace side of this. See, we all have hope because of Jesus. And it's the most wonderful, it's the most amazing, it's the most fantastical, glorious hope that you can think of. Because no matter the truth of the sin in your life, when you combine grace and truth, we remember that Jesus died on the cross and the sin no longer has power over us eternally. And we don't have to get all cleaned up and we don't have to be good to go before we have access to Jesus. Here's Romans 5, starting in verse 8. This is what it says. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not after we figured it all out. While. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ. Not by what we've done. By what Jesus has done. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. See, we have hope because of Jesus. Period. And even though we all fall short of God's standard, we have hope no matter what we've done because Jesus has made it right. No matter our sin, we have hope because grace has shown up. Thank God. So here it is. It's both sides of the teeter-totter. At the same time, the perfect measure of grace through Jesus, the perfect measure of truth. Grace is truth, and truth is grace. You can't separate them. And when we live a full measure of grace and truth, the result is love. This is a challenging, inspiring definition of love to me. Because when we apply grace and truth to a conversation, to a relationship, to a situation, to a church, the result is love. And telling the truth with grace is love. And we do it because we love. Do you know how irresponsible it is not to tell somebody the truth when you love them? If we aren't willing to do both, it should stop us in our tracks. And sometimes the most loving thing to do is to tell the truth even when we disagree or even when it hurts. And when we interact with people in our lives and we don't agree with them, there is this tension. Things feel out of balance. And on one side, we care about these people. And on the other hand, we believe that maybe they're doing something that doesn't align with God's hope for them. So what do we do? Let's go back to the teeter-totter. We embrace God's truth and we extend God's grace. And we go back and forth like a dance. See, I believe we should love people enough to tell them the truth. I also believe that we should tell ourselves the truth, even if we don't like it, even if it doesn't feel good, even if it doesn't fully make sense to us. And I believe we should love people enough to show them grace or accept the grace that God extends to us because it's not an either or, it's a both and. So let's bring it back to the beginning. What type of teeter-totter person are you? If you're a truth person, awesome. You're created in God's image. So who in your life do you struggle to extend grace to? Share that truth. Just remember to extend God's grace. Or maybe there's somebody here who needs to accept that grace from God for the first time because no matter what you believe, no matter what you have or haven't done, the grace is for you. Maybe you're a grace person. That's awesome. You're created in the image of God. So who in your life do you struggle to encourage to embrace God's truth? 
Don't forget to embrace God's truth in your life. Or maybe you need to embrace the fact that truth that you believe isn't from God. It's from culture or it's from opinion. I don't know. But no matter where you fall on the teeter-totter, the encouragement is to embrace God's design because that's where the hope is. This entire series, we're encouraging you to surrender your sex life and your sexuality to God. Not to me, not to the ridge, not to your partner, not anything like that. To God. And I don't know which side of the teeter-totter you fall on, but I do know at the ridge, we want to be a church so full of people who are incredibly imperfect, but who love Jesus so much that they extend grace and truth to the people in their lives. And my desire is the ridge lovingly, gracefully, truthfully does whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. Because if what we believe is true, that God's grace is real, embracing truth and extending grace is the most loving thing that we could possibly do. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, We fall short of your standard. I do. I fall short of your standard. And I'm so grateful that my shortcoming, my sin, my mistake doesn't separate us from your love because of Jesus. And that Jesus and the cross and the fact that the tomb is empty and that you've conquered death is such a huge part of our faith and our sex life and our sexuality, because we are created in your image. And I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to receive your grace and truth. Help us live it out. Help us live it out. Help us extend that same grace and truth. And God, I'm so thankful that in the midst of our fallenness, in the midst of our mistakes, that you love us so much that you come all the way to us and that you say, I have it figured out. You don't have to do it on your own. I love you so much that I sent Jesus. You didn't have to do that. Just surrender. And as we surrender, you're making life without you become life with you. And the hope and the joy and the peace and the freedom that comes as we surrender to you. Help us live that out. Help us live out that new life full of grace and full of truth. And it's because of Jesus that we pray today. Amen.